0: Okay, now we're fired up. October the 18th, 2015, lecture discussion number 216 on the Book of Romans. And as you know, we have been meandering, uh, some would say going in circles, uh, with respect to Lot and Lot's wife. And last Sunday, I wanted to, it was my intent to feature prominently the typological aspects of Genesis 19, specifically Lot's wife lot as well my aim uh, with the aim of then transferring those elements to Luke 1732 uh which as you know is the instruction from the Lord God Almighty himself to his nation of Israel as they experience the conditions of the latter part of the tribulation Christ's directive to Israel is to remember Lot's wife and I've said last week as much as I could uh that the reason uh, or that the solution to understanding what Christ meant is to have an understanding of uh, Lot's and Lot's wife's typology they are a typological figure in the scripture an actual husband and wife who went through the exact actual events that are recorded but hidden inside of them in their hidden inside of their experiences is a prophecy and then so understanding what they represent is important to understanding uh, Luke 17:32 the meaning of remember Lot's wife and I submit therefore that Lot's wife has extraordinary meaning and complexity she is a sign to Israel something she is something that only Israel will decipher only Israel will perceive now I, I concede a few others are going to discover the meaning of Remember Lot's Wife, but I maintain it's going to be negligible, certainly going to be um, insignificant in number that understand it in the Tribulation, because Remember Lot's Wife is a tribulational um, reference there to remember, Israel is to remember Lot's Wife during the Tribulation, especially the end of the Tribulation. And who is inclined to study something like that during the Tribulation outside of Israel uh, perhaps Assyria, perhaps Egypt. Outside of them, who's going to know about the sign of Lot's wife and who is going to be impacted by it, who's going to realize its value? As you know, at this time, the beast is running amok. The mark of the beast is Ubiquitous. So, how many people with the mark of the beast are going to be studying the typology of Genesis 19 as it applies to Luke 17.32? Uh, I'm telling you, hardly any. Which means that this is going to, remember Lot's wife, is going to be something almost uh, uh, completely in the, in the, in the, uh, applicably to uh, Israel. It's not going to be something that anyone else knows or cares about it. Anyway, speaking of the Middle East, I got a letter, another uh, perfectly timed uh, email from uh, Dr. Peter. If you remember, Dr. Peter uh, from Australia, and he thought that you would all be interested in the Golan Heights, which I know you are. So let me read Dr. Peter here. Hi, by the way, Dr. Peter. Nice to hear from you again. This is what he says. Dear Steve, so Russia has now set up a base in northern Syria, which they have, as you know. They have bombed the rebels but left those, those north essentially untouched. The Chinese have placed a large aircraft carrier off the coast with a battalion or more ready to be deployed. Russia has warned Israel not to fly near Damascus, uh, Damascus or risk being shot down either by ground-to-air or air-to-air missiles. The British Air Force have announced a change in terms of engagement. British, fires, uh, British fighters have permission to fire on Russian aircraft, which means they don't need to be fired on first. They can fire irrespective of, their, uh, of the threat. As Obama has been rendered uh, has been rendered Im- impotent, or perhaps purposely chose this path, do you think the alliance or the allegiance of Turkey will shift? Uh, as you know, uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. It's often been said that America's strength has not been in its economy or the dollar, but the ability to protect their allies and intimidate foes. Um, America's currency used to be gold-based, as you remember. Some of us are old enough to remember silver certificates and and, um, the the gold standard, it switched under Nixon. And now is essentially our dollar, American currency, is attached to oil. So the fluctuation in oil affects our currency. That's one of the reasons that uh, our military is interested whenever the Middle East is under threat. Not the only reason, but one of the reasons. Putin is leaving the ISIS forces. Back to Dr. Back to Dr. Peter. Putin is leaving the ISIS forces to the north, more or less free to act and attack Turkish interests. He has promised to help Assad against terrorists, and thus can argue that this is where he has put in his forces. He he has been supporting the Russian coalition, including Iran's Iranian operatives. Will he offer Russian support in bombing ISIS once they make concessions? He's talking about Turkey there. Recently, there have been massive discoveries of oil in Israel. That is the Golan Heights. I think Russia is likely to make a special deal with Turkey in relation to the oil. Let me interject here. Turkey is in Ezekiel 38. They are Assyria or Togama. They are going to be part of this coalition, this confederacy that joins with Russia and Iran and with Libya and with Syria, and they are going to attack Israel. And there is a hook. We'll read that in a minute. This is an Ezekiel thirty-eight, a prophecy that has been ancient, as you know. I think Russia is likely to make a special, Doctor Peter. I, may, I think Russia is likely to make a special deal with Turkey in relation to the oil. I am sure. Um, I could sell a proposition that all oil would go through Turkey at very favorable rates exchange rate exchanges for their allegiance. That would remove NATO bases and might involve a port in Europe for the Russian Navy, plus numerous unspecified land deals and support for development of a new Ottoman Empire. Whatever happens, Russia and Turkey are talking, as the Bible said they would. I think most of Europe will be willing to... To take so many refugees because they expect the U.S.-led regime change option to provide them with access to Saudi oil. If Syria has fallen, or had fallen, there would have been Western-backed regimes all along the proposed oil pipeline pathway. The Europeans have been falling over backwards to be as, to be seen as favorable to Islam, even though there have been some horrible problems. What he's talking about now is these Islamic refugees that are coming into Europe. Europe is taking them, aren't they, by the thousands and thousands, knowing that they're going to disrupt every aspect of Europe. Why are they doing that? They are energy dependent upon Russia and the Middle East. Saudi Arabia is not taking any refugees. What are they doing instead? They're saying to Europe, "We'll build mosques for our refugees, or for the Islamic refugees that are coming, the Sunni refugees." And Europe is Europe is is doing this because they see no other option. They are energy dependent. Let me go back to Dr. Peter's letter. The Europeans have been following over backwards to be seen as favorable to Islam, even though there have been some horrible or horrific problems. In Sweden, there has been a 1,400% increase in, in all kinds of crimes, rape specifically, closely matching the increase in Islamic refugees. In Germany, school children in areas where the Muslims are entering have been told to dress more modestly, which has led many to be rather um, irate or disgusted with their government. It is interesting to note that Saudi Arabia um, is not taking refugees. Again, instead, they're offering to fund uh, mosques and other considerations. God bless all the wonderful folks at Cliffside. Peter. Okay, let's draw a quick little map. Here I have Israel. I have Jordan. I have Lebanon. I have Syria. That's what I got. Beautifully done, huh? The Golan Heights... Uh, I got Jordan too high. The Golan Heights are right here. I'm going to have to move Israel up to make this right. That's where they are. So Israel took the Golan Heights in 1967, the 67 War and they have utilized them because they they collect the, that's where the sea of galilee is or now they call it the tiberian sea but it's really the galilean sea and here's the jordan down into the dead sea right so right here is a water source and the this is a golan heights so it gets snow it gets rain and that poor that feeds the water system of israel it's very fertile it, even though it's high it's got an altitude to it and it is uh, there's farmland up there Here is the Russian military. They are on the border of Israel now. If that has oil in it, if this is really rich in oil, where is Putin? He's right on top of it. His goal, as you know, is to seize the Middle East completely because here's the Chinese, here's the Mediterranean Sea, here is the Chinese, they're sitting out here with an aircraft carrier and troops. Why are they there? Because the Middle East is about to blow into pieces. If this is oil, the last thing that Putin wants is Israel to control that oil, because what will Israel do with the oil? How much oil did, they're hardly, they're about the size of what? Good grief. They're a very small New Hampshire, maybe. They're a tiny country. So what are they going to do with that oil? How much manufacturing do they have? If they hit oil big, if they're like the United Arab Emirates or they're like Kuwait, what do they do with the oil? They have to sell it. Who do they sell it to? They'll sell it to the Europeans. Let's see. Most accessible market. They'll, they'll ship it. Well, Putin doesn't want that, as Dr. Peter points out. Here's Turkey up here, right? If that oil was going this way into Europe through, through Syria, through Turkey, with Russian control, then that gives him more power over Europe, gives him more power over the Mediterranean and the Middle East, gives him more power over everybody. He becomes the most dominant geopolitical force In the world. So, besides a source of water and farming and settlements, the Golan Heights have been discovered to have these oil reserves, and Magog Gog, the Russian army, is on the border. Just as Ezekiel 38 said it would. By now, it's apparent that Putin and Russia intend to, as I said, annex all of the Middle East. The Chinese notwithstanding, the United States is retreating from the Middle East. The United States is conceding the Middle East uh, to the communists. somebody my age, that's astonishing. We have people embracing communism running for president of the United States. It astonishes me. I was at a time when that was not even there was no potential that that would happen. Now the uh, the Middle East is being conceded. Russia has had no impact in the Middle East since Eisenhower. He was wise enough to uh, extricate them. The Europeans are, as Dr. Peter points out, they're so desperate for Middle East oil and Russian natural gas, um, they're going to do whatever they have to do. To survive. And nobody trusts the United States. We are stupidly or malevolently led. Probably both. I suspect mostly malevolently led. The abandonment of the Middle East uh, to the communists is going to explode the world. The communists do one thing very well they slaughter people by the hundreds of millions. To what they've always done. They have no regard for human life at all. They're monistic, atheistic. They have their morality. Of course, we're, I could be describing the United States now, couldn't I? But certainly, uh, the, this is going to send the Middle East into chaos. I'm a- anxious. I'm interested to see uh, Great Britain saying fire on Russian planes, if you see it necessary. We've discussed this many times lately, but I just want to let you know that it's the Golan Heights is a major uh, source of oil now. Expect the Russians and the Syrians and the Turks and the Iranians attempt to take it. They're going to take it um, with the full unanimous approval of the United Nations. When Israel took it in 1967, the United Nations protested and said, "Give it back." We've had we've had. Uh, Israeli prime ministers say we'll give back the Golan Heights if you'll give us a peace deal. They've already tried to do that in the past. Um, That would be would have been a horrible mistake. Now that it is it is potentially filled with one of the largest oil finds in that area, that's going to be an amazing uh, decision not to have given it back. Is this the hook of Ezekiel thirty-eight four, Ezekiel thirty-eight ten? Is this? Are we seeing this in the Golan Heights? We've often speculated as to what it could be. God says something that when this confederacy attacks Israel, that He will respond with fury (Ezekiel 38:18). And so we get to see the fury. We witness that fury. That is a mind-changing—not a mind-changing—that is a life-changing event for us. Count yourselves to be greatly privileged if we get to witness the war of Ezekiel 38 and the fury of God. Don't let a week go by without spending some time watching this. It doesn't take that much time. Research it. Know it's coming. Okay. That was fun and cheerful. Everybody's now uplifted. I can imagine what it was like prior to World War II. I, my father was of, of age during World War II. And he would talk to me about it occasionally. What it was like, everybody believed that Hitler was not going to take territory. They believed he could be appeased. And eventually, uh, Japan and Germany almost destroyed the world. If Japan had gotten an atomic weapon or Germany had gotten an atomic weapon, the world would be a much different place. We are watching things happen in the Middle East that are going to cause a war. Uh, It's got to be very similar to what it was for my father in the 1930s. Okay, the typology of Lot's wife. Who does she represent? That's the question. I stressed previously that there's this biblical comparison. It's not Abraham and Lot. It is Noah and Lot. There is a comparison between the two put in Scripture. I think it's appropriate now to uh, juxtaposition Lot's wife uh, in here. So I have Noah being compared to not just Lot, but also actually being compared to Lot and Lot's wife. So Lot and Lot's wife is um, is on the other side, if you will, of the list to Noah. I am proposing that Lot, Lot's wife are to be joined together. Together they form the, the, form a sign or the sign. Uh, they have discrete characteristics. By discrete, I don't mean anonymous. I mean separate, separate. Again, to repeat, Noah is in the judgment. He's inside of it. He's within it. He's on the water. The water is over him, buffeting him. He is in the judgment. Lot and Lot's wife are taken by the hand. They're taken. That's very important. They're taken. And they escape. And they're out of the judgment. So one is in, the other is out of judgment. Lot's wife is a pillar of salt. She's described as salt. So they're out, and Lot's wife is salt. And I'm obviously making the case here that Noah and Lot are put uh, in comparison because they represent who? One of them is Israel, or the wife of YHVH, or the wife of Jehovah. And the other one is the church, or the bride of Christ. I'm saying that pick, which is Noah, which is Lot and Lot's wife. Once again, the wife of Jehovah and the bride of Christ, these two great signs that you can't separate, but they are different. Try to keep the constant union, the continual joining of Israel and the church to the forefront when you're reading Scripture. Know that they are, again, distinct, but they are also side by side. Does that make sense? When you find the sign of Israel, you're going to usually find the sign of the bride. They are not the same. They're very different. But they are un- they're joined together. So, again, which of the two are, which is Israel? Noah or Lot, Lot's wife? Which one is going to be in the tribulation, in the judgment? Which one is going to be taken out? Which one is salt? Which one's going to escape out? See, that's your choice, right? Dem's your choices. So which is symbolized by Noah, thus which is symbolized by Lot's wife? And see what I did there? That's basic geometric proof, congruency of angles. If Noah is and Lot, Lot's wife, if one is one, the other is the other. I dropped at Lot. I just went to Lot's wife. Anyway, hopefully that makes sense to you. I don't want to lay it out for you. I don't want to just open it up and feed it to you like you're a bird. I want you to figure it out yourselves. And be able to defend your position. Okay, now during the postgame last Sunday, the subjects of 2 Samuel 6, I won't put these on the board, but I'll get to them in a minute. The subjects of 2 Samuel 6, Numbers 4.15 and Acts 5, as they often are, uh, came up as being applicable to Lot's wife. Those, of course, are Uzzah or Uzza. Taking hold of the ark as it is being transported, David and Israel are transporting the ark, and Uzzah, Uzzah, whichever you prefer, uh, takes a hold of the ark of the covenant when the ox stumble, the oxen stumble, and he grabs onto the ark. And uh, Acts five, of course, is Ananias and Sapphira lying effectively directly in front of the Holy Spirit. And usually these two are referred to as the irreverence of Uzzah and the lying of Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira's testing of the Holy Spirit. And it is commonly suggested that the death of Lot's wife uh, should be examined in concert with Uzzah and Ananias and Sapphira. Do you see why? They would think that. Many commentators uh, do assert that all of these Uzza, Uzzah, that's not two people, two pronunciations. Lot's wife, Ananias, and Sapphira. Most, many, many commentators do insist that those are examples of God killing disobedient people and should be lumped together. Uzza does immediately after violating Numbers 4.15. Numbers 4.15 is God's directive, His edict. Do not touch the holy thing. Let me put that on the board. Do not touch the holy things or the holy thing. Don't do it. Why is that a directive? The oxen stumble. Uzzah reaches out to take hold of the Ark of the Covenant. That is one of the holy things. That is a holy thing. When I say holy thing to you, by the way, what should you first thing you should do? I shouldn't say thing that many times. When I say holy thing, who is the holy thing? Luke 1.35. That is yes, That is the infant, right? That is Christ. Uh, he is called the holy thing. So now you know God is saying, don't touch me. Uzzah reaches out. When the oxen stumble, he reaches out and he touches the holy thing, the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant, whichever you prefer. And, of course, he is instantly killed. And I've depicted this many times over my so-called career. (coughs) I usually do it this way. Uzzah. It's just kind of hanging out. You know, he's got the job. of, And he sees the ox stumble. And he doesn't want that ark. So he just touches it and then God kills him. Poor Uzzah. How many of you feel sorry for Uzzah now? I did my best. Good of you not to raise your hand. Never raise your hand here. It's got to be very complicated. He violated Numbers 4.15. He touched the holy thing. Now, the Philistines could touch the holy thing all they want. Didn't kill any of them. Did you ever notice that? But Uzzah touches it, and he's dead. And Lot's wife, she just kind of stole a look backwards. It was really quick. I mean, she just went, ooh, less than a tenth of a second or a hundredth of a second. She looked back at the destruction, and God killed her too. God is what? A meanie. That, by the way, passes for Sunday school class in 99.95% of all churches in the United States. Let's just ask a couple of questions here. Ask the most obvious of the obvious questions. Okay, let's ask the why first. Why did Uzzah die immediately when he reached out to take hold of the holy thing? Touch the holy thing, you die. Did he know, Numbers 4.15? Oh, yes, he did. He's a Levite. He's a priest. He knows, don't touch the holy thing, lest you die. So why does he do it? If he didn't do it, Do you suppose that the Ark of the Testimony would have fallen off of the wagon and crashed into a hundred pieces and broke into so many, couldn't put it back? Humpty Dumpty. Is that your view? That if it wasn't for Uzzah, we would have lost the Ark of the Covenant. Was the Ark in any danger of being destroyed? Answer that. Of course it wasn't. Why would you think that it was? If Uzzah or Uzzah reminds us of anything, it is the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus, Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. That's the two sons of the firstborn and the secondborn sons of Aaron. Their first day on the job is priests. They bring profane fire and they're dead. They put profane fire on the altar. Who is? What is the altar? It's a holy thing. Who is it representing? It is the altar of God. Who is the altar of God? God. Christ. Adab and Abihu decide to bring profane fire. They bring Egyptian paganism up there and put it on the altar. First day of the job. I like to think of them as new McDonald's employees. They got their hats and they got their little smocks. They got their pants and their shoes, the employee given uniform, they go out there and they decide they're going to put paganism on the altar, and they're both dead. Instantly. Very similar to Uzzah, wouldn't you agree? And God says aloud to Israel, I must be regarded as holy. I must be regarded as holy. I must be glorified. And Aaron understood why his two sons were dead first day on the job. Did they know they were bringing profane fire? Did Uzzah know he was not to touch the holy thing? Yes, he did. Should have let it hit the ground. Would it have been destroyed? No, it wouldn't. Aaron held his peace, it says in Scripture. He understood why they're dead. He also understood that Physical death is not a permanent state. He's got two really dumb sons. That's what he's got. But the nation of Israel had to see it. Why did they have to see it? Because likewise they're what? Dumb. Right now they're the only nation in the world that knows who God is. We have to understand. Do we understand this? I hope you do. I know you guys do. That's for the internet. Why must God be glorified? Why mu- he says I must be regarded as holy. What's that mean? What does holy mean? No sin. None ever. And I must be glorified. Why? Why aren't we glorified? it is sin to glorify us it is sin to glorify angels nothing but god can be glorified without it being sin if that makes sense i say that right if you if you glorify anything or anybody else it's sin the only thing that the only one who can be glorified is the holy thing god himself that's why that's why god must be regarded as holy If he's not holy, if he's not sinless, there is no salvation, right? Ultimately, this is salvation. Giving salvation requires holiness. So why would Nadab and Abihu bring profane fire? Why would Uzzah touch the holy thing? Why did Ananias lie to the Holy Spirit? Essentially, he's right there. Why did Sapphira test the Holy Spirit? We need to understand their motive, the catalyst in all of this. And I will agree that these require study simultaneously. I agree that Ananias and Sapphira and Uzzah and Nadab and Abihu all have the same kind of characteristic and need to be studied together. But does Lot's wife, does her purposes coincide with these? And I say no. And the one who remembers, the rememberer, tells Israel, while they are in the midst of the horrible part of the tribulation, to remember Lot's wife. And I ask all the time, is it a warning? Is it a threat? Or is it a sign? Is Christ saying, Remember the sign of Lot's wife, remember the pillar of salt, remember the bride of Christ as a sign to Israel during this time of tremendous persecution? Or is he saying to them, Is it a threat? Remember Lot's wife because I'm going to kill her like I killed you, I'm like I killed her. Is that what he's doing? It's really all you get to choose from. Which would be of greater value, comfort to Israel as the forces of Satan and the Antichrist are hunting them down? Does profane fire touching the holy thing, lying to the face of God apply to Israel at the end of the tribulation as they're heading towards the blessing of the 1335th day? What is going to be of singular importance to Israel as they're being hunted down and slaughtered? Is it going to be their stuff, their money? I don't think so. Do they cry out to Christ, give us more money? Or do they cry out, save us now? I think that's obvious. I'm just asking because it's my job. Lot's wife is a pillar of salt pillar of salt let me repeat pillar of salt pillar of salt remember that on that note we head back or we move on one or the other to mark 11:15 15. Um, here's something i got to put on the board i don't i don't think i got this through very well i read it Now I'm going to put it on here. Outcry. There's an outcry at Sodom. The outcry is great. What is the outcry about? I have a great outcry at Sodom. It's incredible. Who's crying? Christ says the sin is very, very grave. Very grave sin. The sin... Grave. Horrific. Unprecedented almost, except for maybe Genesis 6. The outcry, great outcry. Who's crying? What are they crying about? What cries to God from the ground? I'm going to say that it is blood. Okay? So, keep that in mind. Now, before we read 11, Mark chapter 11, 15 through 19, re- reminders are of a few necessary elements are in order. Overthrow, or overthrew, or overthrown, that becomes a key phrase because he overthrows Sodom. He overthrows the t- tables in the temple. He equates the temple tables and Sodom. He puts them together. He overthrows. God does both of them. What is the relationship then between the city of Sodom and the outcry, the blood crying out, the very sin, the very grave sin and the tables of the temple, the money changing? Again, the outcry of Sodom, the, uh, the outcry against Sodom is great and their sin very grave, Genesis eighteen twenty. Something unbelievably bad was happening there. And this is said by God Himself. He's the one that says the outcry is great and the sin is very grave. That's God. I'm quoting God. The I Am, the Creator of all things, says Sodom is particularly, especially evil. So what were they doing? Had this discussion many times. The outcry is so great, the point of no return was reached with Sodom. Couldn't wait anymore. God, very long-suffering, waits 400 years for Canaan. But it got so bad in Sodom, he said, okay, i got to go. Finally reached the end. The point again of no return. Make the application to the tribulational period. There comes a time where God looks at the earth and says, Okay, time to end this. We have gone past the line, if you will. We are now irretrievable, not redeemable. It is time to end the sin that is on the earth. God came down to end the very grave sin of Sodom. Just as God will come down at the end of the tribulation and end the very grave sin that is on the earth. Sodom and the tribulation have a clear relationship. The typology of Sodom, if you will. What Sodom was doing is going to be very similar to the tribulation. Same thing, different day. And Genesis 6 And the outcry, the murdering, the blood, Sodom is marinated in blood. That's what you have to think. If you think that it is some kind of sexual sin, which I will not deny that that's occurring, but that sin is occurring in Spinard. And Dave wanted me to repeat that joke. Those of you in the states that don't know where Spinard is, it's good that you do not know where Spinard is. No offense to those of you who live in Spinard. Did I grow up in Spinard? I did. I know where all the buried, your bodies are buried in Spinard. My point is, is that we have things in this city uh, that are are every that are sexually uh, perverted. That is not what Sodom was annihilated for, though it was a component that led to. The blood. Sodom is, is a wash in blood. Slaughtering the weak. And God had had enough. People have recognized what's going on in this country. The eugenics movement is killing now hundreds of millions of the weak. And they're, they wonder why... Uh, We have, I've said this before, we have uh, a president of the United States that said, God bless the killing of children. That's what he did. God bless them that kill children. You can't be more, you cannot be more wrong than that. You are absolutely, completely wrong. It's impossible to be more wrong. Yes, sir. Well, uh, Dave, uh, Supper Dave for the Internet is asking uh, what is uh, Judges 19? Is that what you said? Judges 19. Uh, uh, I did a lecture a few years ago on Judges 19. I think Judges 19, uh, clearly a great evil was being done there. I think they understood the evil that they were doing. I think absolutely it had something to do with what Sodom was attempting. It's the defeat of death. Sodom had defeated everything and they were waiting. They were trying to figure out how to extend their physical lives. And they were successful. I repeated uh, uh, Supper Dave's question for those of you who always tell me you can't hear the questions on the Internet. So I do respond eventually. It's only been four or five years. Again, God, the time ran out on Sodom. The evil was too great. And that is the context of Sodom. Okay? Understand the the amount of blood and death that is there. That is Sodom. And that within that context is Lot's wife, is the pillar of salt, is the church, if you will. Now, the money changing of Mark, 11:15 through 19 bears some resemblance bears great resemblance to Sodom. God essentially says they're the same. He treats them the same. He overthrows both. He overthrows both Sodom and the money changing. Money changing connotes as you know image image of God. And the opposite of the image of God is the image on the coin, if you will. People have God's image on them. Coins have images on them. That's what he's doing. God's image on humanity are clearly part of this equation. As is the image on the coin. God sees those two and the overthrow of Sodom and the overthrow of the temple and the money changing table as equivalents in the sense that they are set, they are side by side. Sodom is equivalent to the money changing temple and I also have the image on the coin that is not God. God's image on humanity. So how is it that money-changing is the slaughter of the weak and the outcry of blood from the money-changing table is crying out to God? So that's where we are. Now we read Mark 11. So far so good? Everybody on the bus? I've always wanted... I've had many people recommend to me that we should have a theme song. and We should have some kind of special effects. Whenever I bought back the class up, I should press a button and, and the, uh, the signal a dump truck or a garbage truck makes when it backs up. And I thought would be appropriate. Yes, I'm killing time until I get to the passage. Now I'm there. <coughs> Need medicine. Mark 11, 15 through 19. I'm reading from the old King James. Why am I doing that? Because the old King James has this overthrew word so that you can connect it to Second Peter and get it back to Sodom. Old King James comes through a lot. You should know that. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast, out, cast them out that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And would not suffer that any man should carry vessels through the temple. So what did he do? He walks in after the fig tree, right? He walks in after the, the donkey foal and Lazarus. He walks in and he starts throwing stuff everywhere. He's destroying it. This is God overthrowing tables. And he's overthrowing the seats of the people that are selling doves. And if you and he says, no more carrying stuff through here. Obvious questions abound, right? And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests... Heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all of the people were astonished at what he taught about his temple. They were astonished, amazed. It, the word connotates uh, overwhelmed, trembling, um, just, just ho- amazingly affected by what he said. It was so extraordinary. And when evening had come, he went out of the city. Okay, So we're going to make a list, because as you know, list makers is going to list. We can't stop ourselves. I have to admit, as I've gotten older, and I'm in my dotage, I have to make lists now of simple things, or I accomplish nothing. They say when you leave one room and enter another room, it's as if, it, as if your entire memory has been eliminated. So I make sure that I put my list where, in my hand as I leave a room. Okay, here's our list. God has come to his temple. What's he doing there? He is judging it. This is judgment. Judgment. God has come in judgment to his temple. It's the same as Sodom. The same as the tribulation. It's gotten so bad that he's got to blow it up. Understand that. And so then he casts out. uh, He drives out. He drove out those that bought and sold. So I have buyers and sellers here. What's the obvious question? He overthrows the table. Overthrew. Now, you probably think he turned them over. Went around and started turning tables over. This is God. He's come to judge his temple. How big are the tables? You thinking plastic folding tables here? How much stuff is on them? What stuff is on them? How are they How are they attached? They're just sitting there. They come in. They set the tables up every Wednesday. Or they've been there permanently for years. How heavy are these tables? How many tables? How many people are in this place? What day is it? What week is it? What's going on? Passover. Where in the temple is it? It's in probably the Gentile court. What does overthrow mean when God does it? It's it's attached to judgment. I have money changers in there. Who are these guys? Did they go to money-changing apprentice class? How do you become a money-changer? What do we call money-changers today? We call them bankers. People that change money, handle money, move money from one pile to the other. That's what we got. Then I got dove sell. I always made the joke in... Uh, when I taught high school that these guys are selling bars of doves, bar of dove soap, just to help them remember who they were. They always remembered to get it right on the test. I got people selling doves. Not ice cream bars, not soap, actually birds. And then this really kind of mysterious thing, God stops the people. I got people who are walking through. God stops the people who are carrying vessels. Vessels are interesting because those essentially are clay pots, right? They're carrying a bunch of clay pots through the temple. He's not going to allow that anymore. No more carry. So I got, what have I got here? I got I got buyers and sellers. I got money changers. I got dove sellers and I've got People carrying vessels, all of them God makes it clear not to do this. And then he begins to teach about the temple. Isaiah 56.7, I'll go ahead and put that up there. Isaiah 56.7, Jeremiah, what is it, 7.11? Yes, 7.11. The den of the, the, it's supposed to be a house of prayer, but now it's a, a den of thieves. And the Pharisees, when they heard what he taught, how long did he teach? He didn't say just that one sentence. He explained this temple, the purpose of it. Who's, who's, by the way, in charge of it right now? We'll have to get to that in a minute. But it's God's house, and this is God. And the Passover crowd is absolutely astonished. They can't believe what they heard. It is unbelievable. Now this would be G. This would be H. So there's our list. Okay. What of those is the same as Sodom? Where is the sameness with Sodom? Where is the slaughter? Slaughter is going on here. Outcry is going on here. He's judging this just like he judges Sodom. Just like he will judge in the, at the end of the tribulation. we got some suspects. Again, we got them that bought and sold. What's the question? What are they buying? What are they selling? Our money changers. These guys are always around. They're exchanging Roman imperial uh, coins. Uh, Greek coins and Jewish shekels. They're, they're somebody, people, this is a huge Passover crowd. They've come from all over the Middle East. Some of them have Greek coins, provincial coins. Some of them have Imperial Roman coins. And some of them have Jewish shekels and they, and they constantly have to change from one to the other. Most of them need, uh, Jewish shekels because that's the temple tax. Again, a Passover crowd all over. Pilgrimage Festival, Pilgrimage Feast Day, I've money changers. Every time they move one piece of money to another, what do they get? They get a commission. They're taking something out of the pot every time. It's like the IRS. Every time a dollar changes hands, what does the IRS do with it? They tax it. They might tax that same dollar 50 times before they finally burn it. Same thing's going on here. Same principle. And then the one, I'm not implying that the IRS is evil. Well, then maybe I am. Maybe. I could be. I could be doing that. Don't tell them. Whatever we do, don't let anybody know on the Internet. Okay. That sort of was a joke. And then the ones carrying these vessels, this stuff, through the temple. What are these guys doing? Why are they doing it? And lastly, I have the dove sellers Um, uh, which are the uh, Leviticus 14, 22. Who's in charge of this thing, this operation? This is a big operation. Who's in charge of it? Obviously, it's the priesthood. It's the Pharisees. It's the scribes. This is their operation. How long has it been going on? It's been going on a long time. Finally, it's irretrievable. It's got to be stopped. It's got to be shut down. It's so destructive. It's so vile. There's so many people getting killed here. Death everywhere here. Priesthood set it up. It's their business. And God shuts it down. He saw it as a great evil, a killing machine. And he overthrows it. As most of you are aware, salvation cannot ever ever be bought or sold. Yes, sir. What's that? Um, we'll have to get into how he did it in the Sundays to come. Um, so, yeah, Dana for the Internet wants to know, uh, did he use utilize uh, a whip? This, is, this uh, I always ask the question when I get that. Does he need a whip? No. So if he uses one, why? Let's go to 55, 1 and 2 of Isaiah. Very important. Ho, everyone who thirsts come to the waters. And ye are you who have no money. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. He's telling people, if you have no money, come and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. You see what seems to be a contradiction. How do I buy without money? That's the point. You come without money. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, God says here in Isaiah 55. Eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Salvation takes no money, cannot ever be bought or sold. Salvation cannot be bought, cannot be sold. If it is purchased, it is not salvation. If you spend money for salvation, you did not buy salvation. It cannot be earned. God condemns all doctrine that sells and buys salvation. That was astonishing to the Jews. Their whole existence was all about buying salvation. What percentages of the church today sell salvation? It's in the 90s. What percentage of religion in the world today sells and buys salvation? 99.9%. It was astonishing to the Jews. They had been conditioned to buy their salvation. That's what the whole point of the temple was to them. The temple was the place where you bought your salvation. That means somebody was selling it. Notice it drove out the buyers and the sellers. I had people selling salvation. I had also people buying it. Why would you buy salvation when it doesn't make sense? You're trying to sell the salvation right to the people, but you also have people buying salvation here. What's going on here? He says it's not a house of prayer anymore, Christ did to the temple. Because prayer is what? How much does it cost you to pray? Does anybody charge you to pray? Oh, yeah, they do, don't they? You watch TV? You watch the Christian channels? There's a lot of those guys out there. Many are going to sell their praying. Send me money. I will pray for you. Send me an envelope of money. I will hold the envelope up and I will pray. You will pay for my prayer. That's wicked. It is so perverse and wicked, it can't be worse. Yes, it can. But that is wicked. And that's what the wicked say to the weak-minded. That's going on here in the temple. If anybody wants to know what Christ is going to do to those televangelists that are praying over envelopes full of money that they get from old people, Christ is going to do to them what he did here, what he did to Sodom. What he's going to do with the tribulation. That's wickedness. Jesus Christ came to his house of prayer and no one was praying there. Not one prayer was being offered. There was no prayer in the house of prayer. Only the buying of what can never be earned and the selling of what can never be sold. The house of prayer was a temple of death. What was going on in the temple was genocide. Everybody in there was being killed. People buying death and the priests selling death. God saw Sodom is irretrievably lost and God saw the temple likewise. Dead and dying people everywhere. Killers killing for money. So let's ask some questions. Since we're almost out of time. Why do so many people seek to buy their salvation? Why do so many people think it's true that they can buy their salvation? Why do so many people think that somebody can sell them salvation? The entire Bible screams at us. Salvation is free. It's a gift. It's given, God freely gives us mercy, how come it seems like everyone falls for the lie of salvation for sale? It's an obvious lie, and yet the lie is believed, and the lie is preferred. It's chosen. Why do people want to buy their salvation? Why do people want somebody to sell them their salvation? Why do they go to the people who pretend to sell salvation? How do the people who pretend to sell salvation sleep at night knowing that they are lying? Because you have to lie to pretend to sell something you don't have. So how do they get in that job? Why do they stay there? What is said of the character of God, if he were to have, I'll concede the premise... The hypothesis, what if God did devise a system of salvation that must be sold? If that is, in fact, what he did, who could be saved by a a system of salvation that has to be sold? Noma. What does that say about God's character? It is a fact of humanity that mankind, presented with salvation freely given by our Creator, and contrasted with a method that demands payment, that has a, this labyrinth, a labyrinth of complicated, impossible to keep regulations, mankind overwhelmingly chooses the system that he can buy. Why does he do that? In other words, the math has been done. I have salvation by grace, freely given and mercy, and I have salvation, a lie. I have nothing that is for sale. Overwhelmingly, people go to the churches, to the religions, to the doctrines of for sale. Overwhelming. What causes that? The biggest churches in this city are churches that say salvation has to be bought. Put earned, put worked, whatever you want. Same thing. Biggest churches in this city. Not even close. Salvation has to be bought. If I walked in there and said salvation is absolutely freely given by God and cannot be bought, cannot be earned, cannot be sold, they would be astonished. If you can answer, why does mankind prefer God to be evil instead of good? Because that's what selling of salvation is. It is killing people. It is wicked It is genocide. It is mass slaughter. If you can answer, why does, why do mankind prefer God to be evil instead of good? Answer that, and then you are able to define money changing. What are they doing, these guys? They are making it possible for people to buy salvation. You have the wrong money. You need this money. Oh, I happen to have this money. I'll take the money that you have that's the wrong money, and I'll give you the right money so that you can now buy your dove. You can't buy the dove with the Greek money. You have to have the Jewish money. Oh, we'll have to take the Greek money, change it into Roman money, then we'll take the Roman money, change it into Jewish money, and you can buy a dove. That's what they're doing. God says they're killers. Figure out why mankind wants to go to this temple. that is not prayer. that is the buying and selling of salvation. And you will understand why he blew up the place.